It's time. Okay. I got stuff to talk about. And every time you play that theme, I got a dance. And every time I... Go ahead. Every time I play that theme, then I've got to watch you dance. I hope it's not too painful for you. No, it's So we have stuff to dance about. We have stuff to celebrate today, don't we? Uh, it is FileMaker 18 day, is it not? 18. FileMaker can be drafted for the military now and, uh, and drink in cer- certain places <laughs> and vote. Oh, man. I just do not have the creativity when it comes to, like, the quips that you come up with. I just made that one up, too. Plus, it's not really true because FileMaker is more like 30-something years old. So That's true. So it's well yeah. beyond the drinking age. Way beyond. Yeah, it's actually uh, it's getting up to the age where it can be elected president. <laughs> Which is what, 35? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. Yeah, something like that. As long as you have wispy hair, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows, man? Let's not, even, let's not even go to any political anything. Cause, oh, I don't. I don't. Yeah, we shouldn't. So, 18. So, an interesting release, for sure. Yes. It, um, all right, so initial impressions. Like just gut. No, nothing really like gigantically big user facing, but some beautiful developer things. Yes, there are some developer. Th- I feel like on the developer side, maybe I'm getting, um, yeah, I'm getting like a taste, but I'm not getting a mouthful. So there's not a whole lot, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. There, the stuff that is there, it's a great taste. You spent more time on FileMaker Pro Advanced, and I spent more time, I think, on FileMaker Server. Yep. I think um, we figured that out at our uh, pre-recording conference. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I think that's just kind of your your world versus my world personally. Like, you know, we run a whole bunch of FileMaker servers for customers. So I was super curious about a lot of the aspects. One of the really big ones is, um, like, the, the server engine is very significantly changed. Yeah, you were. I didn't even. I I looked through the docs, but I didn't uh, actually get the chance to download server and uh, test it on a beta server. So what what are they? So the biggest one. So the admin console is almost identical, maybe even exactly identical. There's almost nothing really different about it. But the engine underneath it is very multi-threaded, multi uh, for for so for really really heavy loads. Um, the multitasking um, is so much more efficiently written in 18. It's going to handle them much more efficiently, <clears throat> which could also be as simple as just one, a, a small application with a whole bunch of PSOS calls or so server-side I, scripts or things like that. So is that, um, is it the, the server processing that they changed? Because they didn't change the file format of how the data is stored. In No, the data engine. They rewrote big sections of the database engine itself to be more to be more multi-threaded multitasking. Wow. I needed to go through the docs on that more. Um, yeah, you should. It, it's actually it's, it was very difficult to test with a handful of users online. But so we did things like having 20 or 30 stacked PSOS calls all doing different things like reading and writing from different aspects of the database. And we tried it on machines with like two cores or four cores or eight cores just to see sort of how it would do. Mm-hmm. And it's it's considerably faster. So um, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really it really handles the heavy load substantially differently than it ever has done before. Even if you only have two cores, it actually does really well. I mean, especially if you're going to do stuff. Uh, I'm the more that I do on uh, server hosted environments, especially if they're using the data API. Mm-hmm. I'm using more and more attempting to use more and more things on the server side. Sure. So just because it's it's so much easier. Well, I'm, I'm saying that just because one of the recent articles I wrote was about using, um, there is a binary that you can get called PDFTK, which is a wonderfully awesome library for being able to manipulate PDFs, in particular being able to do uh, PDF merges with form fields. So say you have hmm. like a legal contract and you want to merge something in, well, of course, it makes way more sense to put that on the server side because you only have to do one install. You're not installing a plugin on each individual client. You just they oh. click a button, it runs on server, and you've got a merged PDF in a container. That sounds amazing. I yeah, want that. It's, uh, well, it's <laughs> it's on the FileMaker Magazine website. <laughs> hmm, okay. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, just anywhere where it makes way more sense to do it server side, I'm I'm opting for that, of course. Yeah, which we do too for different things, and sometimes they're really small things like just making log entries where they just happen server side. Any anything that's heavy processing, like you know, doing some complex query or creating a bunch of records or something like that. Yeah, I like to do server side. Now there was one other aspect that wasn't so hot that you had mentioned about. 18 what it was the there's a new log? there's a new feature which is a great feature it's called startup recovery so it's interesting so they're solving a problem which is not a problem for most of our clients almost like 99% of our clients which is if the server should crash um, when it comes back up first of all if the server should crash when it comes back up most of the time there's no problem at all it just opens the file i mean file damage has been Solved for really a long time in my world. However, there's a new feature in in 18 server called uh, Startup Recovery, where all of the time that you're writing, um, by default, FileMaker Server is making uh, a log file that uses eight gigs of space, something like that, on the boot drive, and it's heavily writing to that file, such that if the server should ever crash upon reboot. It reads from that file and confirms that everything is recovered and working and that you don't lose anything. So, like, FileMaker Server really hasn't passed the acid test before for durability. Okay. Like, the very last bit of the durability. This should address that. So, it's a redundancy in order to do, like, a checksum on, you know, say, a record-by-record -record basis. It's just checksumming the whole of the data set to make sure that right. just prior to crash, you know, what got disrupted. You know. Yeah, so what I haven't tested and what I really love to is if you have a really big database, you know, 20 gigs, 40 gigs, something really, really substantial, and the and Windows crashes from underneath FileMaker Server. FileMaker Server itself is really, really strong. I'll, I'll see so many instances where FileMaker Server is working perfectly, but you can't remote desktop to the Windows Server because Windows is not working. Uh, so in a situation like that, you have to go into, you know, the AWS console or whatever and reboot the computer, reboot the server which forces FileMaker closed, and then the server comes back, and then it does a checksum on all of the hosted databases. So that's basically like emulating file. a hard start, a hard restart. Sure. Well, you I mean, you can, yeah. Do it from I AWS. Mean, it's basically like you cutting the power, right? Yeah, there's definitely a way to do that. So on AWS, if you shut the server down with one command, it does a friendly shutdown, like going into Windows and clicking Start and clicking Shutdown. If you do it again, it basically pulls the plug. So uh, weirdly, FileMaker Server actually has a feature like that too. You can you can request to close a file or open a file once in the admin console, and then if you request to close it or open it again, it forces it closed or open. Hmm. Uh, which was I don't know maybe undocumented, but we discovered that one uh, by looking at log records. Well, I've known you can always so, go into a process and just force. Well, on Linux, you can kill that process. That's true, but like on a, if you've got a bunch of files hosted and you are trying to close one uh, and it's not closing for whatever reason, uh, you know, those are things that we sometimes have to confront. So this new startup recovery feature has a pretty significant hit on performance with respect to creating records around, I don't know, 30% slowdown. So if you just... Like in testing mode, we wrote scripts that just made a million records or, or even more. Something that's not at all realistic in the real world. Right. But it's a really good way to benchmark speed. And so we found that with that feature on, which is on by default, the server is considerably slower than 17 for one user logged on doing one thing. Turn that feature off, and it's exactly the same as 17. Hmm. So basically, they're, they're, it sounds like they're just trying to anticipate for more load, but, I mean, you were mentioning uh, prior that it's because there, you can't target a different drive. Is it that you can only target the boot drive? Doesn't that then cost you? I think you can target a different drive. Okay. I think you can configure it so that that file goes some other place. Um, but then when you, if to continue the testing, right, if you do a testing with a whole bunch of those threads, like in a normal situation with a bunch of users logged on all doing things, that's when 18 really starts to show its performance advantage. Gotcha. And what was it with the disk I.O. and Amazon's credits? Oh, that's another interesting thing, right? So um, when, you, when you use a server from Amazon, whether that be uh, what I like to do, which is to use a Windows server that you build yourself, 
or whether you use Famic or cloud, the server CPU is really a product. It's not like a computer like you and I, like a Mac mini or something. Yeah. And so the CPU credits are part of a, you get a certain number of them, you know, let's just say a hundred credits. <clears throat> Each credit is a hundred percent of CPU for a certain amount of time, like a minute. If you have some process running that uses a bunch of CPU power and your credits go to zero, your C your server will slow to a crawl. Yeah. It's throttled. Um, I've experienced mm -hmm, that where you, 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 if, 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 the, when I've experienced it, it's when you're doing like um, a Windows update or something. Yeah, so that's basically when it will happen. Yeah, mm -hmm. it'll if you leave Windows updates on by default as automatic on a FileMaker server, you're somewhat screwed because mm -hmm. you're it'll hit your server and you're just like, what? Why is it going all slow? Except Windows decided to do an update. That's true, but there's a checkbox called T2 slash T3 unlimited for the different or whatever server type. Actually, these really only affect certain classes of servers at AWS, too. Now we're going to get nerdy. True, anyway, this ones. one checkbox will fix this. It just says, oh, well, now we're going to give you 100% of CPU, and when you actually use all your credits, we're just going to give you a super nominal charge of some couple pennies per 100% of CPU per minute or something. Hmm. And so it really totally solves that problem for CPU. Okay. So it's um, basically like, go ahead and uh, go over your data plan, but we'll charge you 10 cents per... Yes. Gigabyte precisely. or megabyte, whatever. And so if you get, like, if one of your servers is infected with a virus or some process goes awry and it uses 100% of your CPU for, you know, a month, it's going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> um, but otherwise, under normal circumstances, like a Windows update, that this that would solve the problem. Okay, so the other side of this, which we totally encountered, was a disk drive on AWS also has a setting also has a not actually a setting but but has a data limit and if you use 100% of the io for a certain amount of time on a drive um, then it'll throttle your drive to zero and there is not a checkbox that you can pay for it and in our testing in one test that we did when we were creating a ton of records on um, on a test file the the boot drive got down to zero credits and just and just about died, basically. And it never, I mean, the, the script is still running, creating a million records. So the script never really recovered. We had to wait. I don't know if we rebooted it or just halted the script from running. Um, Something. Well, basically, I mean, yeah. the moral of the story there is with the, the backup recovery turned on, when they're mm -hmm. going to do, a, you know, a, some type of verification log... You just got to make sure that whatever server you have is either either has the allocation for the credits that would be used for that, or you mm -hmm. turn it off. And you said the way that you turn it off is only through like a FMS admin. Yeah, there's an FMS admin command that's really long. Presumably, you could do it with the with the API. If I, I feel sure you can, because I think that is a superset of everything. But you cannot do it through the um, the FMS admin console, the graphic console. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting about this, and then we're going to totally switch gears and talk about FileMaker Pro Advanced, is um, the, the, the data drive never really got saturated. So creating a ton of records, importing a ton of records, whatever we did, we were never able to saturate the credits of the data drive. But we definitely saturated the boot drive where this crash, uh, the, the recovery file was stored. Hmm. So I think it's it's much more heavily writing to that than it is to the actual FileMaker data file, which was, I don't know, I don't really know what to think of it, but that's what we found. Well, it's cool that I mean people like yourself, and then I know other people out there. I'm sure Wim has done a bunch of testing, Wim over at Saliant, and that's going to be good to see that stuff come out. I know that FileMaker wants everybody to, to upgrade, and we want everybody to upgrade. Mm -hmm. You want the new features. But also from a, you know, from a corporate perspective, a lot of people, they don't even upgrade until they're like halfway into the release cycle or something. They've got to let yeah, all the bugs shake out. Government, maybe even farther. So let's talk about Pro Advanced. All right. Let's do it. So I gave you my little file. You're going to play a little music intro? Oh, yeah, we can do that. Uh, a... da, 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 da. It's a file. Uh, <laughs> I really do. Oh man! Oh, oh here, I give myself a little clap. Give yourself a little pat on the back, there, buddy. Yeah. All right. 
So um, the list isn't super long, but I, I sent you the file that I uh, used. And there's also – sh- I've shot a YouTube uh, video or video I'll put on YouTube mm-hmm. um, that is up there probably now. And uh, it just goes through the list of all of the different things. There's no really big priority order, but the first one that I had is FileMaker ID. Now, I didn't play with that. You had, Have you played with that? Yeah. You actually got a FileMaker ID? I did. Well, maybe I just didn't ask for one. <laughs> because um, I Well, it's part of the community now. So now this is a really nice thing, right? Because the community, which is based on Salesforce. <laughs> um, I know. Um, is is all switched. So it's interesting. It used to be based on Jive, and we can actually see the Jive headquarters office from our office in downtown Portland, which always cracked me up. Um, <laughs> but now they've switched to a different technology and unified the 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 community with actually logging into FileMaker. And this is really a FileMaker cloud feature, but I think we're going to see it maybe evolving more. So wait, wait, wait. But, I didn't know this. Your community... ID is going to be your FileMaker ID? That's right. When I log on to the community, I log in with my FileMaker ID. I have one ID with FileMaker for community and also my databases. And so that's also going to be the FileMaker ID that's the ID when you open FileMaker if you want to host with their Cloud 2.0. I believe that's the case. If I'm mistaken, I apologize, but that's what I understand. Well, there, I, that's why I never logged in. I'm like, I don't know what my FileMaker ID is. FileMaker opens with this new dialogue, and it says mm-hmm. it starts with FileMaker ID, sign in. Mm-hmm. And you click it, and it's a, a password prompt, a username, but I guess I'm. I, I guess I wouldn't have gotten anything because until they release Cloud 2.0, which was released today, which I'll be checking out because we're mm-hmm. recording this just a hair before the release. Mm-hmm. That'll be cool to actually be able to check it out and know that that's. I hope that's the case because if that's yeah. The, so the idea would be you you log in with your FileMaker ID and then you see all of the databases on all of the servers that your FileMaker ID allows you access to. Huh. Because because those accounts have been authenticated through the FileMaker ID. I love this feature. Love wow. this feature. Well, I mean, for if you just want to throw a database up really quick, you don't want to have to spin up an AWS server. You don't even know what an AMI is in order to mm-hmm. make a new server. That's so easy. That's so yeah. easy. Just it's yeah, it's getting there. It's man. definitely a lot easier than the old way with. With Cloud One, if the pricing is reasonable, then I mean that's to just get up just one person's own one little database, but not have to s- worry about I'm getting my own uh, AWS instance under FileMaker Cloud. If they're running it that way, and then they just bill you sort of like Amazon, that's cool. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, it is Amazon billing, and you're paying. There's no surcharge; you're just paying the raw AWS fee charges. But then there's like a minimum server size and stuff like that. Oh, well, since I haven't worked with this, see, I don't know how they're going to charge. I, I was under the impression that they, they were going to charge, like, I don't know, based on, you know, they bill you or something, and then they just handle whatever they pay to Amazon. Huh, you know, I should know that, but I don't. Well, neither do I. I mean, the whole FileMaker Cloud 2.0 thing was I didn't get to dig into that because I just both didn't well, have let's, time. Let's just make that a follow-up time. episode when we know more about it. Well, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I think it's good because we, we've gone the way, like at AppWorks, we build... Um, all of our servers as just Windows server boxes that are dedicated and all of our customers get their own dedicated box. So we make it as easy as possible for them because when they say, oh, I want a new server, we just spin one up, um, secure it, put their file on there and it's, it's, you know, to them it's magic. They don't have to do anything at all. Yeah, but in this instance, I'm guessing, and, and from what I know, just from history and uh, current uh, FileMaker Cloud 1.0, they're running mm-hmm. on, on a Linux version, which they have not made public. And so we only have access to like a Mac and a Windows uh, FileMaker server. They've got the, the Linux server for themselves, but it'd be really mm-hmm. cool to see how they're doing the billing, which I'm going to be checking out today, as a matter of fact. Yeah. If I can just throw up like a single database and then if they just bill me for that, that'd be awesome. But I mean, even if it's, you know, sort of like, okay, you've got a block and it's X users for this power of a server. I mean, if the pricing right. is reasonable, that'll be cool. So the Cloud 2 stuff is all still the same f- incredible um, architecture. So the AWS architecture for all of the products that you get, um, which are really the same, whether it's Mac or Linux, or sorry, Windows or Linux, Um 
Uh, so you're, you're getting an EC2 instance, you're getting uh, uh, SSD drives, you're getting the networking, you're getting, I don't know if you can pick processor level and stuff like that, but all the same underlying features are there. Right. They've just made it convenient through this FileMaker ID thing, right? Right. So spinning up a server, which used to be quite a few steps, is now really simple. Sweet. I'm looking forward to yeah. it. Yeah, me too. Okay, what's next on your list? Uh, next up, they made a number of changes on uh, security. So um, there was a big debate. One of the biggest issues that people had was in FileMaker, there's... Um, um, obviously, I'm coming in at it from the angle of my bias. There were a lot of people from the EU area that, uh, because of the GDPR, they did not like or felt that there was a reduction in security. And so the, the, one of the big change was they when you go into the security, the managed security dialog box, and then when you back out of the managed security dialog box, it asks you for your username and password as you're backing out. They took that away so that basically you don't have a prompt. And in some cases, it was there was a really long thread that uh, mm -hmm. talks were going on about that, that, you know, they were taking away security because it was security by design. But then if you look at the other side, basically, it never was security in the first place, because if you had the credentials to get into the managed security dialog box with a full access, mm -hmm. then you, of course, should be able to do anything that you would want to do in there. Right. And then when it asks you to get out. And so a lot of the time I'll take a step back. So here's the change. Way back in the day with FileMaker, well, let's not go too far back. Let's go back to like version, I don't know, probably 12, uh, maybe even before 12, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 through 17. Um, to go into managed security, you had to provide a full name access account and password. So right. if you had a solution that was old that had 15 files and you were going to make an account for a new person who just started, you had to go to file A, go to manage security, authenticate, create the account for the person, click save and authenticate again. And do and that for do each that file. Times. Yeah. And that that to me was their biggest it makes it so much easier to be more security conscious is my argument is because now it's not there's no pain point. It was painful to go in and out and in and out and in and out. And if I was right, actually right, right. coding FileMaker, the security dialog would be able to be open and it would not be modal. You would just be able to have security open and test oh, security at the same time as you develop. Oh, you're way too smart. That's just a great idea. But because you have to go in and out of this, it sort of delays or defers the whole security mindset on a lot of uh, solutions, in my opinion. But mm -hmm. that was only one aspect of uh, that was just sort of a hot topic. Um, but the biggest thing is they made the a big change to the main dialogue. So when you open yeah, the did. main dialogue, you have a list of all of your... It used to be that it would list all accounts, no matter what the authentication method. Now they've got a pop-up up at the or a, a drop-down list up at the very top, pop-up menu, drop-down list, I forget mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. one is which, that basically you're only looking at either FileMaker authentication, whether it's local or external, or then you can switch down to one of the other providers, whether it's Google, um, Amazon, or Azure. Also, when you select on an account, you don't have to double-click in order to get an additional dialog box. When you select on an account, it will just reveal on the side area all of the account information, which is the name, the password, whether it requires a password change, etc. You also, because you don't have to uh, double-click to open that uh, little at the account dialog, you can assign or change a privilege role right there in the main managed security. Mm -hmm. You just select on a little uh, drop down and then you can change it to whatever you want. So that's the biggest thing is they basically removed the um, the account dialogue out of managed security. Now, the rest of the dialogues with regards to security are there. So when you go into manage a privilege set, um, that is the same dialogue when you're editing the privilege set. And if you go into modify the file access, the extended privilege, and look at the list of privilege sets, that dialogue is also there as well. Mm -hmm. So other than the main dialogue, the only other change that they really have is the file references by default. That is now checked. They're sort of listing that as a feature. That's not a feature. It's just something that should have always been there. 
Yeah, well, since they added it, right? So when they added that feature, and I don't know what version it was, um, so that so that it was so that you required you were required to authenticate with full access to the file before you could make a file reference to the file. This is one of the items on the security checklist that we released at AppWorks because it's a super important box to check on your right. solutions. Right. Um, because it, it, it the the security hole that it closes is perhaps obscure, but very important if you have users who are uh, adept at FileMaker. Yeah, or have any degree of access in order to connect to another file. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely want to close it. So... Um, so yeah, I, I very I do like that they close it by default, but it affects no current file. Correct, correct. It's only on brand new created files created in eighteen and higher. Otherwise, you still mm -hmm. have to go in and check that box. Mm -hmm. So, and there's only two other really new big features. Um, plugins now require they've got um, validation on those, so they're probably using um, SSL in order to make sure that the plugin has been signed by uh, a third party mm -hmm. before that plugin will load. Otherwise, FileMaker will throw up a dialog, which that's just a, an, an extension to the fact that they have an option in the file options of whether or not files can in, or can or cannot install plugins. And it's always a good idea to turn that off. Do not allow any FileMaker files to install plugins. And I believe that's also an option you can set uh, when you do the installer. Mm -hmm. There's also four checkbox, checkboxes on the server for plugins on whether the FileMaker files on the server can use plugins and whether uh, API calls, WebDirect type things the, at the web publishing engine can use plugins. Right, and those are all up. off by default, which is good. They are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the final security feature they added is they do have a brand new checkbox in the uh, dialog for editing a privilege set, and it reads as such, manage accounts that don't have full access. So in other words, you can give a privilege set the ability to then manage all other accounts and privilege sets except full access. Big feature. So, yeah, it's it's really nice. It's like, uh, you know, it's the one level below your god level or below root, mm -hmm. which allows people to take control of their own destiny with regards to security. Um, I really like that one to be able to the ability to create a sub admin account. Yep, is great. So, very nice for people who are uh, not creating like turnkey solutions. People who are um, basically teaching FileMaker uh, users the FileMaker way, so they mm -hmm. can go in and do their own a uh, access. So, yeah, that's uh, security. So import dialog. That's one that they've been showing and talking about for a long time. You've have you gone through it? Mm-hmm. So I like it. It's really a good change. Yeah. The import, I, the import is largely unchanged. I think since FileMaker Pro One, I can't think of really any important features other than like the ability to import a folder of pictures and the um, ability to import from like a SQL source. But otherwise, the look and feel and function of that goes back to the beginning of my career until me, today. Me too. I mean, I, going all the way back, FileMaker 2 is when yeah. I started. I'm going to miss the little black arrows, man. <laughs> the, the little black draggy arrows. They're gone. That's true. They're gone. <laughs> yeah. And, and thank God, because it was so difficult to use them. Yep. Uh, we, still get, we still do get the left-right black arrows in the top left corner. <laughs> to move from record to record. True, and they will continue on currently in the managed security area. Oh no, that that dialogue was revised. There's there's somewhere else where I think they are. I forget. But um, here's yeah. the main features in the import dialog box. So mm -hmm. tell me, and I'll tell you my favorite. First one is um, as you import, you can select any record you want to be to be the definition for what is going to be used for field names, and that can be useful in terms of. Uh, your matching or just being able to, you know, custom drag however you want to uh, align those. So it doesn't have Look to be at that. the you very first record. <laughs> it can be the yeah. second record, third, fourth, what have you. Right. So like if you're importing from an Excel spreadsheet that has a title and then a blank line and then some other stuff and then the actual header record. Yeah. You can say, oh, yeah, that line. Those are my field names. Yep. There you go. Love it. Um, next big feature is um, the ability to turn off auto enter options, and you can do that globally 
or you can do that on a per field basis. So if there is a particular field that you do not want auto enter to trigger, then you can turn that off. And like I think for they example, have creation timestamp or something. Yep. If you're importing creation timestamp, you can accept the default record, but then you can assign a UUID to the record for upon import. Yep. For example. Or you could allow modification to trigger or mm -hmm. and uh, creation to do nothing, which is really pretty nice. Yep. Um, next big feature is uh, they do have the ability now to specify a custom delimiter. So you do not have to use FileMaker's pre-configured list of comma, tab, and whatever else they offered. You can now basically check a radio button that says other, and then if it's using a semicolon as a delimiter, you can use it for your inbound hmm. data set. Don't think I knew that one. Love it. Yep. And then one of the last, other than dragging and uh, the same options for targeting where you can specify, you know, matching names or some of the other options, those are pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. But they have this ability on each of the incoming fields, the target fields, as FileMaker calls them, you are able to drop a little uh, drop down that provides you with a search with a uh, filter down search. So you can filter down a list of fields and those fields have iconic representations of whether that field can or cannot be imported into. And right next to that search field, so meaning it's going to make it a lot easier if you have a really long list of inbound uh, source fields, it's much easier using this search box to be able to find the target fields where you want the data to end up in. Right next to the search field is a little button that will open up the Manage Database. So without leaving the uh, Import dialog box, you can, if you need, define a new field. Mm -hmm. And then it will just drop you back to the, um, to the Import dialog box. So you don't really have to go out of the Import dialog box, then go into the Manage Database, create your new field, and then come back. So... The workaround that I always used to do for that was I would always like write a script with one line of code, which was the import. And then I would like match the first few fields and like suspecting that I was going to need to create a few fields to match the data. And then go, oh, I need to create two fields, save my script, go to manage database, add the fields and come back. And so, yeah, now this is way better. You can do it right from that same screen. Yeah. Which they're doing a lot of in-place type of things in FileMaker, where if I need a script, I can click the little plus button and create the script right here in place. Love that one, too. So It's that's... a teeny tiny box in the bottom left corner usually, but still, it's there. <laughs> yeah, so those are the big ones that I, that I sort of saw in the uh, import dialog box. I haven't uh, played with it a whole lot, but uh, for the parts that I've gone through in order to discover, that's, it's nice. It's It's been set up so that it should be easier to use for users and don't mm -hmm. have to do a whole lot of dragging by being able to simply uh, just select your target field where you have to, you used to have to drag in order to match your source and your target. Now you just, as long as you have your list of source, you never really have to change the order of those. You're just like, which target does this go to? Which target does this go to? So, yep. so I think two really big, well, big-ish uh, changes to FileMaker to the actual interface are these last two, right? So uh, managed security has a very different look and feel and function, at, and which makes it much simpler, more functional, and better. And definitely the import dialog is the same thing. Yep. It looks really different, and it's it's um, a very good change. Yeah. Next up is uh, the while loop. Yeah, did you play with that one at all? I have. So, so yeah, what, this what, is good. What do you like about it? In I've I've heard from other testers um, where well, first off, the big the big change here is a it's sort of a global change internally in terms of the amount of recursion that they've allowed. They allow allow supposedly an unlimited amount. You could basically mm -hmm. go to infinity if you want, but of course your server will or your file will not like that or mm -hmm. FileMaker will not like that. But they they jumped the internal default recursion from ten thousand to fifty thousand. And that applies to custom functions as well as to the while loop. But you can set and go beyond 50,000 by using an external set recursion function. So if you're going you're gonna to set a recursion, wrap that around the new while function if you want to bump up past the 50,000. That's sort of like the evaluate 
with the evaluation error wrapped around it. If you want to know right. that the evaluate hit an error, so it's like right, a, yeah. the the only usefulness of set recursion is to wrap around while, unless they're uh, unless you use it, I guess, in a custom function. Yeah, as a, as a pre-call. The bigger the bigger function here, or the bigger change, is that now we can actually as a script step, write recursive functions without having to use a custom function. They're really not more testable. In other words, you can't, um, you well, can't you can step write through them. them. In, uh, you can't step through them, right? You can, you can write them in the data viewer. You can write them in you know, the, the script debugger, but not, uh, but you can't step through line by line like you can with a script loop. Right, but the the big advantage here, I mean, for those listening, the really cool thing here is the while function, the recursion that you're doing, all of the iterations, it becomes hidden, but it's accessible anywhere. It's part of the calculation engine. Mm-hmm. That means you're going to be able to use it on the hide calculations, conditional formatting, tool tips, pretty much anywhere. Yeah, and so that's, that's going to make, I mean, there's a lot of really cool UI things that you could do with this. I'm looking forward to using this, say, for example, putting some while recursion on a hide calc that's going to generate maybe some little array of data that you want to display in a merge variable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just going to be an easier way to do something because why would I, if I just want to show a little piece of data where I just need to cycle through a set of values, why do I need to go write a script for that? And that's, for me, where the while is going to fit in. Whereas if I'm writing a complex looping script, I'm still going to write the looping script. I'm not going to necessarily use the while function because the while function becomes mm-hmm. hidden and is more obscured. So of all of the features we're talking about, most of them are basically a, a arrived fully formed as plants, trees, bushes, whatever. This one is arriving as a seed. And I think time will – it's going to grow a lot over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, just like just like when custom functions first came in what seven eight, um, where you know recursion first appeared on the scene with FileMaker, yep. they took a while. People kind of went crazy, but people still really are writing new ones. There's still tons of them appearing all the time out there. I I can remember myself creating my first calendar when it was back in like. FileMaker 5 or 6, uh, when I was using repeating fields, and I was just thinking to myself, why can't I do something over and over again? And I was probably mm-hmm. earlier on in my development career, and I knew looping existed, but I hadn't really been exposed to it. And I remember writing calculations where I wanted to be able to do something because I knew it was just the same thing over and over, but FileMaker couldn't do it. And here we are in 2019, and we finally get it in the calculation <laughs> engine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, you know. So, Just goes to show, stick around. So the cool thing is you, you can take a look at that um, uh, on the YouTube video. It Basically, you initialize some variables. You say what your condition is for your recursion, um, you, for the exit point, And then you say what your logic is and then what your result is or what you're supposed to return. And the cool thing is they it's a really good implementation because the initialization of your variables and the logic, both of those support multiple variables. It's very much like the internal portion of a let statement. You can have as many things defined as you want. So, very cool. So, looking at the list, I think we have a few small things, but there's two or three really big ones I want to get to. Go for it. Jump jump around. No, let's let's just go through some of the other ones, right? So, the next one is like script error logging. Yeah, this one is this one's going to be very helpful, but it's only client side. So, they took the the server-side logging, the ability to see the actual um, what was happening or whether there was an error with a script when you did performed that on server, they took that out of the server and they made it a log that you now need to download on server. But they don't have this running where you can tell the log to end up on server. The log only exists on the client. So it's a nice feature to have, but you actually have to program in your own functionality here where first off, the log, you can't, you can't designate where it goes. It goes to the documents folder. So whatever the user's documents folder, it creates a, a file in there, I believe called script log or uh, scripting.log, mm-hmm. something like that. That's fixed currently. So mm-hmm. That's one of the downsides, but the upside is if you know that a particular client is having an issue, you can target that particular client, and you can turn on the error logging 
for that client, capture that log, read the log into a container uh, field, and then be able to have access to what is going on on that user's machine to figure Hmm. out what the problem is, at least with regards to FileMaker's errors that it generates. Now, another sort of downside is when it gets turned on, it's turned on globally for all scripts. So if you turn it on in one script and then run another script and that script B generates the error, then you get the information that comes from that. But I don't know. I would have liked to see personally just see it be uh, script specific. So you would have to explicitly put it on each script, but that's not how it works. If you turn it on, it's on until you turn it off, whether that's in the same script or in a different script. I think this has some really good utility, and it actually dovetails to another feature coming up, which maybe now is the time to talk about it, um, which is file operations, which is a big one. That's exactly. You have to have file operations in order to be able to get the scripting log into your file. So file operations, the way I see it, largely builds in the functions we've had for a really long time in plugins like the Troy File plugin and others. Right. So wait one second. And builds that directly into FileMaker. So tell me. Just before you jump to the file options, here's the last thing on the the script error logging. It does have access to the calculation engine, and you are able to specify your own custom debug info. So if there's something specific about that script, you can attach that, and that is uh, thrown into the log. So there you go. So now, getting it in and out. Go for it. That's cool. Getting it in and out is the file operations. So now you can create directories and write files and overwrite files, and super importantly, append to files anywhere in uh, the OS where the currently logged in user can write to on the client. Yep. Uh, And also on the server. But a server really is just the documents directory. Yes. the, The cool thing I see with this is the ability to write scripts that say, in addition to going to a table and writing a make a record to log some event, like a user logged in the database or viewed a record or something like that, you can actually also write to a text file on that user's computer. Yes. And so you have like a secondary local log of things, which is cool. Well, I mean, yeah, anytime you wanted to do anything with regards to a file, you had to use a plugin. And, of course, Troy's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. The Monkey Bread plugin could do it. Um, the uh, community guys had plugins. And sure. then you had the free base elements uh, and as well. And Script Master. And Script Master if you've got a version of Java installed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's always been that opportunity. And the great thing is some of the plugins like base elements and MBS, they would allow you to get things in and out of container fields because FileMaker does some funky stuff in terms of compression mm-hmm. uh, in terms of when it gets some files into contain, uh, container fields. So here with this all built into FileMaker, it'll be interesting. I don't know if this is the demise of... Uh, I don't think it is because some of the other plugins are still going to be really useful, but it is much easier now that they're here in FileMaker. I mean, it's so convenient to have them here. Definitely. Yeah, there's going to be some very good things with this. Yep. Very much so. Very big feature. And uh, for those of you that are listening, if you just want to take a quick listen, uh, we'll read them off. Here are the names of the script steps. Get file exists to determine whether a file exists or not. Get file size, which allows you to determine the full size of the file, which if you're going to append, you would just read the full size of the file and you know you're at the end. Renaming a file. Creating a data file. Open data file. Get data file position and set data file position. Both of those would be used with wherever you're going to insert your data. Mm -hmm. Read data, uh, read from data file, and then close data file, and then finally delete a file. And Mm -hmm. everything with regards to reading, setting your position, and all of those things, it's all done based on bytes. And uh, FileMaker being UTF-16, I don't know if that's in four bytes or... Uh, two, I actually, you, I should have, I should know this, whether you can set, I believe you can set the, uh, file type. So if you are doing UTF, then you'd be doing two bytes as a, a UTF eight, excuse me, as mm-hmm. opposed to UTF 16. Right. So, uh, two all of those character kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. So all of those are, uh, are options that you can set when you use the various file options. A couple we can do so. pretty quickly. I think the insert from URL protocols. 
That one's, uh, we've got uh, four new protocols, um, SMB for file sharing, SMTP for mail, and LDAP, and then LDAP secure. And those are joining all of our HTTPs and our FTPs and our local files. Mm. Now, uh, did you know this one? Because they added support for SMTP in curls handling, we can now do internal HTML email with FileMaker. What? what? <laughs> yep. That was that was a little sneaky one. I did not know that. Well, yeah, because if they if they support that the SMTP really makes sense. protocol and curl allows you to send HTML e- and an HTML email, all it is is just a bunch of extra text, which sure. is HTML. So and there's easy ways to get HTML from FileMaker using commands or just type it or whatever. Yeah, the, and you can even get the uh, use their formatting functions to uh, format something as CSS, you yeah. know, and it it takes FileMaker styling, and so yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking of. The get a get a CSS. Yep. Uh, command. Yep. Um, function. Okay. Cool. Sweet. So um, speaking this of your mystery. Which one? FMP uh, URL specific. Yeah, that's your next one on your list. Yeah, that one. They just made it, um, and I'm I don't know what their reasoning for doing this is, other than being helpful. I'm guessing that it had to be with um, FileMaker Go. If you had multiple versions of FileMaker Go, that's where I could see most of the problems. But they basically added on the ability to use whatever the version number is, so it's not just FMP. You can put FMP 18 now. Mm-hmm. But, of course, if you don't put the version number, it will default to whatever the most recent install of FileMaker was. Or at least that's my awareness of how it works. Okay. But this way you so. can't – this way you can control – because, like, for example, on my iPad, I have several versions of FileMaker installed. Yep. Um, to make sure you're targeting the correct one. Correct. And that's and – Which would, actually has the function that you're trying to do. Exactly. Okay, yep. cool. So that will be helpful. I love the little things that you find. This next one, shift arrow, 10x movement. <laughs> yeah, nothing big here. In fact, um, I, in my YouTube video, I complain a little bit that why can't they just give us a setting in the file options or in our, excuse me, in our preferences and let me set whether I want 5 or 20 or 15 pixel increments. Well, they made the decision for us. It's helpful if you hold down the shift key when you're in layout mode and you're using the arrow keys, objects will move by 10 point increments now. And so you always had the arrow keys would move it by one, but now you get to choose between one and 10, but you yeah. cannot have five. You cannot have 12. You cannot have you 20. You can't shift option, <laughs> shift option command and hold your nose on the tilde key. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just one setting. Come on, FileMaker devs. If you're listening, just right. one setting in preferences. I know. I like, but then, but see, the thing is I would ask for a million other little settings and preferences too, because there's a whole bunch of them that I really want that probably most users just wouldn't care about. The next one's interesting. Uh, new barcode types. This is just sort of natural evolution of FileMaker as barcodes continue to evolve. Yep. Um, and I don't even really know. I haven't really encountered these other ones yet in the world. Neither have I. I mean, you're if you're in the industry where they use PDF 417, interleave 205, Aztec, or Data Matrix, then you've Yay. got barcode support now. <laughs> the next one is maybe the biggest feature of all of them. That will currently probably be the least used. <laughs> uh, maybe that's true. But, but going forward, this one has the most... This one has the longest legs of all of the features um, to really, really change FileMaker deployment. And we're really being awful by not actually just telling people what the feature is. It's the XML file representations. Well, this is where I'm guessing they were spending most of their time. I mean, when you're doing a a ground-up reworking, or not a reworking, but just trying to put something that will give you a future, that's where I'm guessing why we're light on some development features where they probably were spending a lot of time on this. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I guess we should talk about two things. You can talk about where, where the, what this does now because I played with it a little bit. Right now, in terms of usefulness, it basically just spits out an XML file. But you it can, can import it too, right? Uh, no, not currently. I don't think so. As far as I w- I'm aware in my testing, it, there's nothing you can do to apply it. Oh, From okay. what I know, this it's the future groundwork for that being able to happen down right. the road. Oh, right, yeah. n- right now, they're just trying to get the spec sort of finalized. Sort of like when they release the data API, they say this is a preview version. 
and then they let it go for a, a year for whatever that releases, and then they mm-hmm. say, okay, we've finalized, and now we're going to enhance on it. That's what this is. This is groundwork where it will spit out an XML file, and about the best you can use it for is maybe you could do some diffing, where let's say you start development, you spit out the XML file, you develop some more things on the file, and then you spit out a second XML file, and then you can look mm-hmm. at the differences between you know, before you started and when you ended. But the, the ability to apply an XML file to FileMaker, that's going to be FileMaker 1920 or whenever they implement. So really, right now, we have one script step, which is save a copy as XML. Yep. So my dream for this feature, having nothing to do with anything that I've seen or heard or anything from FileMaker, but just what I've wished for for a super long time, and I'm super excited about this. I'm using too many expletives here. Um, feature because this is the first step in that direction. Um, so my dream is the ability to say, oh, I want to implement uh, a new function to my database, which involves adding two tables, populating them with data, updating a bunch of other stuff to the current version, adding a couple of functions, adding a value list, adding a folder full of scripts, adding three layouts, and having all that happen in one import command. And then now I've updated my, my copy of this, you know, this particular copy of the database has been updated with these features. Yep, and then that's... push another button to say, oh, yeah, all these old things we're not using anymore, delete those. So to basically change the structure of all aspects of a FileMaker file with script code. That's now, interesting. where this is pointing. It's interesting what you said. F- said the first part, I believe they're gonna they're gonna hit that target. That's what they're doing. Where you're able to apply and add new stuff, mm-hmm. but getting rid of stuff, I don't think they're gonna do that. Maybe they won't. Yeah, that maybe be... they won't. Again, I'm dreaming out loud is all I'm doing. <laughs> but that yeah. yeah, this is this is a full representation of the database where you will have the layouts, you have everything that they've been increasing as they've added, you know, the value lists, custom functions, everything that is being represented by XML. This uh, will, this is basically the Linux equivalent or, uh, you know, or version control equivalent of patching. You'll be able to patch a FileMaker database with new functionality and, basically work in a what they call a um, dev staging production environment. So if you're not familiar with it, the dev staging production has been around in a lot of other environments that FileMaker has never been able to address, where you take what you've got in development, you develop it, then you move it into a staging environment where people can test it out and you do quality control. And then once you've verified and said, yes, this is what we want it to be, then you apply it to production. So you can move across that chain. That's what this is going to be FileMaker's solution to that. Mm-hmm. So, plus um, feature addition. I mean, it's more than that. It's basically like I can imagine people are going to be selling things like, uh, yeah, you want this particular feature and functionality? Here, just buy this little, I don't know, $10, $15 thing. You run it on your FileMaker database, and it just adds in the functionality, mm. including layouts, uh, the whole UI, everything. I want that. Coming. Sure. Coming soon, but not quite here yet. Not yet. That's okay, but this is, you know, you got to start somewhere, and this is a good place. Definitely. Uh, the next one, they've, they've added some new functions, which is cool. I mean, they kind of always add a couple, but. Yeah, well, I mean, two of these we've already talked about, set recursion and while. And mm-hmm. then uh, the, the two ones that are the biggest are the generating signatures. And those are um, basically like your RSA. Uh, signatures, uh, your private key, public key type of cryptography. It's basically, that's what it's going to work with. Um, You've already been able to do hashing and being able to generate a cryptographic hash like your HMAC 256, you know, things that you need for Amazon's API. But this is just another extension beyond that. So if you need to be able to have, um, if you need to sign things uh, digitally, you can uh, generate uh, keys and uh, I don't know if it does, if it's public private keys but it's definitely does do your private keys um from looking at the docs right that's good stuff um get account type is simply just a helper function which is now going to return the authentication type you know the method that a person's getting into the database is it filemaker internal accounts is it an azure account is it amazon google what have you yeah exactly and then the other function is just get open data file. And that's just a supporting function for the file operations in order to find out how many open file pointers FileMaker has to all of the individual files that are currently open. 
So be a good citizen. Open your files and then close them. Yeah, And then definitely. when you need them again, open them. Just don't leave them open and then close your FileMaker. FileMaker will probably close them for you, but that's like not cleaning up after yourself after you just ate. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a pretty exhaustive tour. We've gone almost an hour talking about this. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you want the, the final changes, here's the last thing that they did. Uh, the Save as PDF, that now works on FileMaker Go. Uh, they took out open help script step for a web direct because web direct doesn't have any open help. I never used it myself personally. <laughs> right. They renamed open my apps, which my apps came in 15 or 16 or something like that. They opened it to, they called it open favorites now. So just a renaming. Mm -hmm. um, upload to FileMaker server is now open upload to host. Don't know what the reasoning is there, but they did change that. Uh, get last external error detail. This is sort of a catch-all uh, function for whenever they've got new functionality where there's something when something happens outside of FileMaker's realm of errors. So this is uh, this works for like ODBC, etc. But now it returns whether or not a plugin doesn't install, which we talked about way earlier on. Mm -hmm. And then the get layout object attribute, one of my most loved functions. That one does now return a result within WebDirect if you're acting on a chart or on a web viewer. And if it's on a web viewer, you're actually able to get the source. Hmm. So in WebDirect, if you put a web viewer on a layout and then the user looks at that in WebDirect and they go to a different page in that web viewer, you're actually able to get the source and know where they went. Interesting. So that might be helpful to some who are using WebDirect. Pretty meta. I mean, I've always thought it was pretty funny to have a a FileMaker solution that contains a web viewer that's then hosted for WebDirect. So someone opens up a browser to open up FileMaker to open a browser. <laughs> I, I definitely love that. Pretty much the world of iframes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, is that's pretty much tour. it. That we were able to discuss the whole thing in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole bunch of other subtlety, but those are the, all, the, all the, the big changes for sure. Yeah, so... Um, What's, uh, what do you think is going to be your most fun or your most uh, – the one you're going to enjoy the most? Gosh, that's a good question. I, I'm i not really sure. Uh, while is something that a lot of people here are very excited about at AppWorks. Um, that's that's definitely has a lot of discussion. XML as it evolves, which also was kind of funny to me. It's like, really, XML, not JSON? But – as a file type, XML is, is definitely much more established. JSON is really like a, a way to list things, but you don't really go find JSON files out there in the world. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's YAML, and there's a lot of technologies that are sort of hinge off of it. Yeah, yeah. But um, actually, YAML may be more like INI files. Um, actually, file operations might be a bigger, a bigger thing to me, even than the while loop. That's what I was going to say. That's my number one. The, just the ability to get data in and out and being able to do it with whatever character set and whatever line endings you need. That's yep. it, the fact that it's baked in and I don't have to actually do a plugin. And now it will work server side and client side. Mm -hmm. That that for me is the big win with this yeah, release. Exporting files. I, I use it. We'll make another podcast episode about this one maybe someday. Um in addition to the other one that I really, really want to do, which is all the little fun functions of FileMaker that I don't use anymore, things that, that are there for compatibility but don't really make sense to use in a, in a modern solution. True, but you I know what's long interesting? Lift, but that's not for today. You know what's interesting? They, those old hang-ons or clingers, they're clinging on to FileMaker mm -hmm. for life. They do bring new life in them. Did you see that one article where they talked about um, if you're going to write an iterative process – if you use the set variable versus the uh, set ca uh, insert calculated result, but then mm -hmm. specify a variable as the target, that one scales infinitely higher. The uh, insert calculated text mm -hmm. setting to a variable than actually setting a variable to itself. I think I saw that, which is weird, but I do remember that. There's something like a logarithmic scale or something, or exponential yeah. scale, where. The uh, set or insert calculated result, when you use a variable, it totally brought new life to that one old Klingon function hmm. that I almost never used before. But now I have to consider it as an option if I'm iterating, you know, through 10,000 items in a script. Right, yeah. So. 
And the insert calculator result is a good one because it only works if the field is on the layout. You can't just do it from nowhere. Like you, like as uh, with set field and set variable. Well, set field is really the difference between insert calculator result. Well, actually, no. You mentioned using insert calculator result to a variable. Yeah, you can do yeah. that. You don't have. I don't think the they field... made that change a few versions ago too, didn't they? Yeah, you don't have to have. It's you're not targeting a field, so it doesn't have yeah, to be yeah, on the yeah. layout. So. Yeah, yeah, all these little hidden things that they sort of get exposed over time when people are like, oh, I'm going to optimize this. I'm going to test this. They go do run their tests and they're like, holy crud, this works so much faster. And it's like even FileMaker doesn't even know some of the th these things in order to convey because they're building FileMaker. No, they're not building FileMaker exactly. solutions. They're not going to say like, hey, guys, stop using set variable for your iterations now. Use insert from calculated result. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I got a list. We'll talk about that stuff later, and I, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Yeah, we've got uh, we burned through our time on this one. So a eighteen, it's here. All right, congratulations, FileMaker. We're happy to see mm -hmm. a new version, and we're looking forward to the next. Definitely. All right. See you later. Yep. Mm -hmm.